Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Um, isn't that interesting? That's a little bit of how our days end up being in our day and age. Um, and you know, when I get to speak, um, you know, I always... A lot of times we're sharing something that's God doing, God's doing in my own life, very applicable. And I think hopefully this talk on the myths of multitasking, multitasking will be that and be very relevant to, to you. Um, if you know anything about my background, before I came on staff here at Hillside, I spent about 14 years in the corporate world. And I can remember days when I was being, or would interview people uh, to come work for us, and one of the things we would always ask is, are you a good multitasker? As if that was a positive that we were looking for people that could do multiple things at multiple times. Well, in our day and age, that multitasking uh, cannot be a, is sometimes not a good thing, and it keeps us very um, preoccupied and unfocused. And now, you know, it's amazing that in the last five, 10 years, what has happened in the advancements of, uh, you know, the digital age that we live in. I mean, to be amazing, to be able to say, to pull this up and hold it and say, Siri, did the Rangers win last night? Can you hear? They lost again. So, you know, it's amazing. We could do a poll right now and say, how many people ought to think the Rangers ought to mail it in and wait for the new stadium? Let's text that poll to 666 if you think the Rangers ought to mail it in. And we could get that, we can get that poll done in about a minute here, while 20 years ago, we'd be passing out paper and pens and taking that poll, and we'd have the answer for you in about a week. So this day and age, the technology in this digital age, there's a lot of positives about it in the advancement that we have. But also being in the last 20 to 30 years, we now have been able to develop some research about what's happening to our society because of this advancement in the digital age. And so, you know, some of the things I want to show you today in this myth of multitasking is now we have research in the digital age, especially in the workplace, um, you know, because I think it's interesting that now in the workplace, because of the ability to, a lot of times we're multitasking in the workplace, it's now shown that there's a total loss per day in the workplace of about three hours per day. So if you add that up, that's about 750 hours per year. So the impact on the economy is about $1 trillion a year from that lack of productivity. And because of that loss in time and loss in productivity, what do we have to do? We now have to work a lot more on the weekends, in the evenings. And I see a lot of you raising, uh, you know, uh, nodding your heads. Because professionals now, research says that with smartphones, work more than 70 hours per week. And with that, what's interesting about that research is once you work now over 50 hours per week, they see a dramatic drop in your productivity, a dramatic decrease that once you get to 50 hours per week, you keep working more hours, your productivity really goes down. So in other words, to get all your work done, you just got to keep well putting more and more hours, but those hours are not very productive. So we feel like, again, that we always need to be present and available. 
So statistics will show in the workplace, 80% of U.S. workers check email before they get to work. 30% before they get out of bed. 40% check email after 11 p.m. And 75% check email during the weekend. Work email. And again, I see a lot of you, yeah, shaking your head. So we get in this... um, I, in, this, in this environment that we live in, we always have to be available and accessible. And now, even around us, it's, it's shown that now we get interrupted in our daily lives every three minutes. And so what has caused that is a couple things. One is stress. One is loneliness. Here to, this week I heard that the British government has now um, added into their, into their cabinet a minister of loneliness a minister of loneliness, that even though we're the most connected society in history, um, they have to have a person that deals with loneliness, that we're the most loneliest culture that we've ever had, even though we're the most connected we've ever had, more, have more relationships. But what else it has done is it has really increased our stress because we feel like we need to be everywhere and accessible to everyone and we need to know it all. And so we live in a very stressful life. And if you're like me, um, you have a lot of plates that you're trying to keep spinning. You know, as I think of as a a father, as a husband, um, as being on staff here full time. Then I have a little accounting and tax business that I've done for the last 30 years to help pay the college bills, honestly, right now. Um, And then, you know president of a nonprofit and other things that I'm involved with, just like you, you have a lot of things that you have going on. So this has always been a struggle for me. I, it was interesting. Um, I found this picture about 20 years ago, believe it or not, when I first came on staff, I did a, a talk on busyness and I found this picture. I did, anybody remember this picture from 20 years ago? Yeah, some of you do. There's a couple of you have been here a while. Well, this is me, and I look a lot younger, I know. A lot more hair, less gray hair. But this was when we first moved to Texas about 20 years ago, and we're in the Riverwalk in San Antonio. And I have the most cherished people in my life with me. With, that's my mom and dad. I think that was their first visit to Texas when uh, coming from Pennsylvania. And then I have my wife. You can see my wife's not real happy at this. I don't know what the word she's saying. But I'm on, I'm on the phone at work. And then I'm trying to spend quality time and quantity time with the people I love the most. And, um, and so this is something that I always struggle with, with being able to use my time. It's amazing to see my three daughters there. The oldest there is now 28, expecting our first grandchild in three months. So where the years go, you know what I mean? So, but we get into this idea of we need to be more and more productive. And I struggle, I've always struggled with that. Well, this spring, I was listening to a podcast and the guy who was on the podcast was a guy named Michael Hyatt. And I've heard Michael Hyatt, he used to you know, be the president of um, Thomas Nelson Publishing. And he made a statement in there that really got my attention because he said, in the past year, I grew my business 62% and took 160 days off. So uh, that really caught my attention, as you can imagine. So in his, his business, it was already a, a, 10, a $10 million above. He said an eight-figure business. So growing at 62% is no small feat. And yet he took 11 weeks 
of vacation. And he says vacation, it's totally being disconnected from the office, from email. And so that really, like I said, got my attention. Then what he does as well, he shared another statistic that said, uh, in the past year, I work with corporate executives all the time in coaching them. And he said it was interesting, even 20% of them were pastors, so that was interesting. And he said, in the past year, the people that I've coached have grown their organization 67%, and they shaved 11 hours of the, off their work week and still grew their, their organization 67%. So that really attracted me. I couldn't afford to call him up and have him coach me personally, honestly, but I found his book. And so this is a book I've read the last couple months and it's been really helpful to me. And the other thing I've done the last couple weeks has been interesting is I've looked and gone through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and really looked at Jesus. And I don't know if you're a Christ follower here or if you're not even a Christ follower and you're here today, you gotta admit that Jesus was an awesome leader. I mean, with the teachings that he had and the people that he led, we're still meeting with, with you know, 11 guys and probably 70 to 500 followers after his death and we're still showing up. I mean, he was an impressive leader, whether you're a Christ follower today or not. And so, you know, what's interesting is looking at Jesus, and I really skimmed through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and really looked at how Jesus lived his life, his, his pace of life, his interaction with people, his intentionality with his disciples and close followers, and how he kept a real focus on his true purpose. So kind of the myth, the truth of the myth of multitasking today I want you to think about is there's an amazing power of focusing in the present with an eternal purpose. There's an amazing power in, the foc- in focusing in the present with an eternal purpose. And so today I just want to go through and give you three things really that I'm trying to do to be focused in the present with an eternal purpose. So the first thing is to really define success in your life. And you first have to sit down really and define in the present and in the future, what is success for you and for me? Not for someone else, but for yourself. So for me, I've had to just step back and think about that. And as I grow in my walk with Christ, you know, uh, one of the biggest priorities for me is to glorify God with my life. You know, when I think about the grace that God's bestowed upon me because of what Jesus did coming on the cross and dying for me, um, the least I can do is glorify him. So from a priority standpoint, that's my first priority. My second one is relationships. My relationship with my wife, Jill, my relationships with my kids, my son-in-law's, Uh, my relationships with extended family, my relationship with friends. And then last or third of my priority is just, you know, what we say in our vision statement all over here at Hillside is that am I really living eternally now? And thinking about having those priorities and keeping them in order. So for the present, you know, looking at what your priorities are and keeping them in line And then the other thing Michael Hyatt in his book says, look and find your desire zone. And thinking about what you are both passionate and proficient at. 
what you really beat your heart to do and what you seems to come earlier, it's really good to have somebody else confirm that it looks like you're really good at that. And he has you put all the things you do in your life in four different quadrants. One quadrant, things, things that say, I'm really passionate about this, but nobody tells me I'm good at it. I'm not very proficient at it. I can be very proficient at something and not very passionate about it. Or I can be neither proficient or passionate. And he says, find the things in your desire zone that you're both passionate and proficient at. So for me, I'll just share a few things that seem to be in that desire zone. One is, from a ministry perspective and being on staff here, I love to start ministries. I just love it. To see you know, where um, people are in need or the gospel can be penetrated and people need to hear the gospel. I love to start ministries to meet that need. So Cody said something. We're starting a whole a new ministry in the fall called the Solo Parent Society. And Mike Robert Beeson's coming in a couple of weeks to kick that off. But it's really a, a, a life group related to helping single parents go through raising kids and still being impactful with their life and, and their time with God. So I love doing that. We're working on a, a life group curriculum right now that for the fall, Pete kind of went on break and gave us an assignment to say, hey, we, we ought to have this curriculum ready for all our life groups to go through in the fall. So I love doing that kind of stuff. So that's something I'm very passionate about and trying to get more and more proficient at it at the same time. Another thing that I enjoy doing is just working with staff. And you know, we have zones that we oversee here at Hillside. I just love working with my staff and, and you know, we're gonna go through this in the fall, just helping them see what they're passionate and proficient about. Uh, there's a new thing called the Enneagram that you probably have heard about. My kids are all saying, are you a three or a one or an eight? You know, so I love doing that kind of stuff with my staff. So that's something I'm very passionate and, and I'm trying to get better at all the time. And then the third thing I would say in my stage of life right now, Something I'm very passionate about and very proficient about is just discipling and mentoring a younger generation. For me at my age, that's what I really get pumped about is to see and to work with other men, younger men, to see that they can be disciples that can make disciples. So that's where you wanna get into present and define success is look at what, you can, what you're really passionate and proficient about and then think about how do I spend my time there rather than in the other quadrants. And then just for the future, um, defining success and looking at it for the future. I think last time I spoke, I was showing you this book about living forward and putting a life plan together to see where am I gonna be or where, where do I feel God's leading me in the next, next five to 10 years. So being able to share that there is a purpose that you can have and that you can really think about the future and where um, God's taking you to live eternally now. And it was interesting, we're hosting this uh, young adult group on Tuesday nights at our house and that 18 to 28 year old range coming out on Tuesday night and the other week, Ravi Zacharias is talking about purpose and meaning and I just had to share with them, when you wanna have purpose in my own life, you know, it's been, I got out of school and I was a car, washed cars. And then I became an accountant and now I, then I became a pastor. But all during that, no matter what my occupation was and trying to find my purpose, I still had a deep sense that God has a plan for me to impact people. So whatever occupation you're in, from a future standpoint, I know I have a purpose because God's called me to make a difference 
in the kingdom of God. I love Andy Stanley's talk where he always says purpose has a catch. And the catch is that you find out if you really want true purpose, it can't be about you. It's got to be about what you invest in others. And so when you think about that, whether you're a Christ follower or not here today, I mean really thinking about defining success for the future. And I love this quote when you talk about success. D.L. Moody said this one time, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Think, of, think and chew on that a little bit about what true success is. So the second thing to focus in the present with an eternal purpose is stop and slow down. And one of the things he, uh, to do is to face the fears. And there's three fears you talk about. First fear is FOMO, the fear of missing out. In our day and age, the wealth of information that we get and what's happening in people's lives. I just saw this week that Instagram decided not to post the number of likes that, they ha- that you have on the picture you put out there. Why? Because it's hurting people's self-esteem. Oh crap, only five people liked my post. So when you first go on Instagram, they're taking that off so you don't see that initially. You have to dig a little bit and you can see how many people really liked your post. But it's amazing how we have such a fear of missing out. And then there's photo, a fear of disappointing others. You know, and I think as Christ followers, we can even think about that as we have a real fear of disappointing people. Because if we don't respond in a, in a timely ma- manner, if we don't meet all the needs out there, if we're not available all the time, I mean, wasn't that how Jesus lived his life? Hold on to that question. Because we're going to look at, did Jesus feel like he had to be available and accessible all the time? And then the third one is the fear of conflict with others. So that whole idea, and he has, Michael Hyatt has some good things in here about being able to say no to things that aren't in your desire zone. And he gives a couple good concepts that I've been trying to implement in my life related to being able to say, uh, to say a bigger yes behind the no. In other words, trying to think of, I have to say no to that because I have a bigger yes to this. You know, for me, I've been trying to implement a little more of a schedule, and I'll share this more a little bit, that I keep my mornings open, A, so I can have my quiet time because that's the best time of the day for me. And that, I mean, I I get up at 5, 5.30 in the morning, do a few things, and then I'm trying to step aside from 6.30 to eh, 7, 7.30 and have some quiet time with God. And then I'm trying to go to the gym from 7.30 to 9, because I'll talk about that a little bit later. So being able to put that in my schedule, so if someone contacts me and say, hey, can you meet at 7.30 tomorrow morning? I can pull it up and say, no, I got a meeting. Well, the meeting's with myself. I shouldn't tell you all that, because a lot of you do (laughs) do do that. But, I mean, it's a matter of having a bigger yes, because right now at my age, my health is getting more and more important because I'll share that a little bit later why my health is more important and we'll talk a little bit about why your quiet time with God ought to be pretty important too so being able to say yes to a bigger yes you have to be able to say you know instead of saying no or helps you say no then the, the other thing he talks about is being able to say to do a yes no yes in other words being able to say no and an example of this is 
overseeing the missions ministry here um, with a lot of great teams that does this, um, I get calls periodically from people that say, hey, I've got a mission in wherever, Sri Lanka or Africa or whatever. And they say, can I come by and show you what we're doing? And, um, you know, when I look at what my desire zone is and where God has placed me, there's a part where I have to plant that no between, sandwich between a yes and a yes. So I've learned how to say, hey, it's great that you're fulfilling the Great Commission and that you're going into the, all the world and, sh- and being in the missions to whatever country. But right now, we at Hillside feel like we're really at a good place where what we're doing in Union Gospel Mission, San Antonio, Honduras, St. Lucia, and India, right now we feel like we're where God wants us to be and we're at capacity. But, you know, hey, we're always open if the Holy Spirit leads our elders and, and our staff to, to expand that. But right now we're good. But again, I package it with another yes at the end saying, but it's awesome what God's doing and how he's called you to do missions. So there's a no there, but you sandwich it with a yes on each side. That fear of, you know, uh, conflict with others helps soften that. Then the, sex, the second thing to stop and slow down is to reflect. And this is very interesting when you look at um, Jesus' life and the quiet and the time of God and you see the importance of it in Jesus' life. Like I want to show you this text. If you read the Gospel of Mark, even though Jesus, or Pete, when we went through the Gospel of Mark, as you remember, um, Mark loves to use the word immediately. But when you trace Jesus' through the Gospel of Mark especially, you never see Jesus in a hurry. And you also see this principle a lot of times in Jesus' lifestyle. So leading up to verse 35, you got to remember, um, Jesus just spends time calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be disciples. They go to Peter and Andrew's house at Capernaum, and actually Peter and Andrew's mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus heals her, takes the fever away, and and they have dinner. She makes dinner, and they, they fellowship there. And then it says that the whole city of Capernaum shows up at Peter and Andrew's house. And it says that Jesus spent the whole night healing the sick and teaching, but mainly healing the sick. And then you get to verse 35, and it says this. Then Jesus got up early in the morning when it was still very dark. I love how he puts very dark. Departed and went out to a deserted place, and there he spent time in prayer. Then you see Simon and his companions, that's Peter, searched for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he replied, let us go elsewhere into the surrounding villages so that I can preach there too. For that is what I came out here to do. So he went out into all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So a principle here is after a long night, probably, Jesus still, and you see this periodically all the time, the words withdrew and you see going to a secluded place. And how the disciples were attracted to that about how Jesus got away and spent time with his heavenly father. Talks about when you pray, go into your inner closet and pray. Get really quiet timing and with God. Or the disciples come to him and say, we've seen you pray, teach us how to pray. And the disciples are always asking about that. Another book I re- I'm in the process of reading is this book by Drew Dyke. <clears throat> 
which says your future self will thank you, secrets to self-control from the Bible and brain science. And he really talks about, you know, all the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, we never, the last one is self-control. And Drew in his, in his book talks about that fruit, to have the Holy Spirit work that fruit in your life, you've got to get habits happening in your life to truly have that self-control in your life. And he tells a great story in this book about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham was um, toward the end of his life, and Jerry Jenkins is an author, and he was sitting with Billy Graham, and um, he's, he's interviewing Billy Graham, and... Um, for his memoirs, he's going to write Billy Graham's memoirs, and he's sitting with Billy Graham, and he, you know, he starts talking to Billy Graham about, you know, a lot of people look at you as being a spiritual father, and Billy Graham didn't really want to go there, and then, um, you know, Jerry Jenkins asked him about how do you maintain your spiritual disciplines, and Billy Graham, with his blue eyes, really lighted up, and he said, because I really do two things that the Bible tells us to do. One is I pray without ceasing. And even now I'm praying while we're talking about what the Holy Spirit would want me to share with you. And he said, the second thing is I search the scriptures. And Billy Graham said that he would keep his Bible open all the time, whether he was in a hotel or whether he was in his office or whether he was on vacation and he would keep his Bible open at all times. And during the day, he would have times where he would just stop and he would just read a verse, he would read a chapter, he'd spend an hour just reading God's word. Not for um, sermon preparation, just for spiritual nourishment. And then Jerry Jenkins asked him about, um, how do you get back in that habit when you've missed a day or two? And Billy Graham kind of looked around and said, you know, in the past 70 years, I don't know if I've missed a day. And you think about that importance and how God used Billy Graham because of his focus and his in-tuneness with God and how important that is in our daily lives to stop and have time to reflect and spend time with God. Let's go on to the next one, pace. You know, and that's what I love about this little looking at Jesus's pace in his life. Again, Jesus never seems to be in a hurry. And I love when, if you look over in Mark 5, there's a story about Jairus was a synagogue leader and he comes to Jesus and says, my daughter's really sick. Can you come to my house and heal my daughter and pray over her? So they begin the walk there. And in that, during that walk, um, a lady that has had um, a, a blood disease for 12 years, had been bleeding for 12 years, if you remember, comes up and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. And of course, Jesus turns around. So I'm just thinking about pace. And I, it was interesting. Jill and I were walking, watching a documentary a couple weeks ago on the Jonas Brothers. And um, I don't know why we get into doing that. But we were watching a, a, a documentary on the Jonas Brothers. It was, and, and, and it was just watching how their popularity just got so much that, you know, they got three bodyguards and, and they're running from their, their, a building to get in a car and from a building to a car. They're just, you know, and I look at Jesus as being a first century rock star. I mean, you think about it. He fed 5,000 men in one sitting. So you got to think there's 10 to 15,000 people all around him. So he's got all these crowds around him, but how does a woman with a blood disease for 12 years catch him? 
You ever think about that? Because I don't think Jesus was walking like this. He was, he was just, and I'm trying to apply that. How many, I'm trying to apply the Gary Woodland principle. Anybody know who Gary Woodland is? Golfer? Yes. So it was interesting. At Father's Day, I picked, you know, you get to do what you want to do on Father's Day. So I picked watching the U.S. Open. And Gary Woodland's leading, leading from Friday on. And he's really leading, and they're saying, man, this is your first major. Are you going to win a major? And they ask him, how are you doing this? And he goes, you know, what I'm trying to do is I walked with Tiger Woods. I played with Tiger Woods about, I don't know what it was, two or three years ago in a major, and I watched Tiger Woods. And he said that last day, and I remember that scene, Tiger Woods walking up on the 18th, and there's a big crowd following Tiger Woods up into that 18th grief. Gary Woodland's playing with him, and he just watched Tiger Woods. And he said, Tiger was just doing it slow. And Gary Woodland said, this whole weekend, I've been thinking of that principle because I hit and then I'm all excited because I'm doing really well. He just said, I'm just, just taking it slow. And so I'm trying to apply that in my daily life of just pace. Sometimes I have to catch myself and say, why are you hurrying? Why are you in such a, a hurry because you look at that and how Jesus and the pace that he made was just unbelievable, how he kept that pace of slow and being able to minister. You got to believe Jairus, the synagogue, when he stops and, and talks to that woman and heals him, Jairus is probably saying, my daughter's dying. My daughter's dying. We got to get going. Jesus was chill, had a pace. He said, if you believe, you will see the, the work of hand of God in your life. So for me, just that whole process of being able to, to slow the pace down and, and be led by the Spirit of God in many instances. The next one is rest. More and more research are showing how important sleep is. Recommending that you ought to get eight hours sleep or some type of nap in your afternoon and that skipping sleep impacts our work and relationship, impacts our creativity to come up with ideas. Research says that people that are getting less than six hours per night for weeks upon time begin functioning as if they were legally drunk. And you don't see much of Jesus' sleep habits. The one time you do, do see it is when he sleeps, he's in the bottom of a boat and there's a huge storm and the storm doesn't wake him up. So it's all about quality and quantity. Jill and I have lived in our house for 19 years and finally we got a new mattress and we got blackout curtains. And we've, it's changed our sleep habits because we sleep a lot better. Now we put a TV in our room, which is not probably what I would recommend. That probably hasn't helped things. But, you know, it's just amazing when you stop and slow down how important rest is. I even heard a quote this week of the CEO of Netflix saying, hey, I know our biggest competition is sleep. That's what he says. So we're all doing that. And then the last thing is stop and slow down is unplug and play. Jesus did this all the time. You see when he's with the crowds, all of a sudden he pulls his disciples back and they get away from the crowds and they unplug. And I love it because he goes to the mountains or the ocean, two places I love to go. He's either taking his disciples up in the mountains or getting them off in, in a boat and getting in the ocean. So that's something I'm trying to do, be able to plug. This July and August is really, and the beginning of September is a very busy time ministry-wise for us because we're preparing for the fall. So Jill and I already have a plan. We're getting away sometime, September, October. 
So, you know, planning those times to get away and unplug. And, you know, Jill and I, you know, Friday night's our date night. So we just try to, you know, always get the time where we unplug and touch base. So all these things we like to do is to stop and slow down. And then the last one is to act. And that's really to consolidate and think of an ideal week. And I've been trying to do that, especially some intentionality with my calendar and thinking about my desire zone, the things that I'm passionate and, and um, proficient at. So one of the things I'm doing now is trying to put a lot of my meetings on, like as a staff, we get together every morning, Tuesday morning, and pray together as a staff. We have our meetings as a staff. Um, and then I try to meet with all my staff Tuesdays and Wednesday morning, get all that. Even if it's only 10 minutes with a staff member, I have about 11 or 12 people that are, are in my zone. And I try to meet with them just to touch base how they're doing, how their ministry's doing, that type of thing. So putting that in Tuesdays and Wednesday mornings, and that leaves me Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday, that I can really work on the projects of that, discipling people, things, meeting with leaders, that type of thing. And then trying to limit how many evenings I'm out, how many things I do Saturdays. So just trying to be really intentional with my calendar. And you may be thinking, well, I don't have much, much discretion with my calendar. I don't have much you know, flexibility with my calendar. My boss tells me exactly what to do. Well, I just encourage you, we have a lot of discretionary time in the 168 hours we have a week. Think about that. You have 168 hours a week. You have a lot of discretionary time, even if you're not the boss. And you also can do things to influence your boss and where you're spending your time as well. So you may be thinking, well, I don't have any control of my, my time. You really have some control of that time. And then secondly, act. And I love how Jesus did this, is he was so present with people. You know, when he, you know, was working with people or healing the lady with the, um, the blood disease, he was functioning, he was looking, he was very focused on it. So I'm trying to do better now that when I'm in a meeting, I put this somewhere, turn it over, so I'm really present with people. Shut my laptop. So I'm really present with people when I do it. And also um, feeling like, you know, now there's about three times a day that I get and I return my emails, just setting those sections in the morning, around lunch, and then at the end of the day. Just so, you know, I can respond and text is not feeling like I have to text somebody back immediately. I mean, I think it's rude if you never text them back, but I think there's an aspect of we, got, we, we always feel like it has to be an immediate response. So I'm just trying to get better at making sure I do respond, but it doesn't have to be immediate and taking me away from a focus and being present with people. And then lastly, just staying healthy. You know, um, more and more I have a long-term goal to be able to do things, um, you know, in the future. And when I, I have a brother that died um, of, um, had a heart attack at age 49. And so when I think about my long-term plans, you know, I'm trying to get healthier in my life with everything I'm trying to do. So prioritizing, you know, time, um, you know, we just joined Lifetime and it, uh, it's, it's expensive as all crap. You know, I just, but let's probably cut that out if you can cut that out. Um, but it has been, I'm not a big weightlifter like other pastors you might know. Um, but I just like going there because, again, it gets me some cardio. I, I do lift a little bit, but I love the spa and the sauna. That's my best, that's the, my best thinking time. 
And so trying to put that in my day and age, because my vision of the future is that, you know, I can maybe be around for the next 10, 20. I don't really want to be past 25 more years, honestly. But I want to be able to have a vision of walking, you know, in a road in Honduras and having my wife, my kids, my grandkids walking beside me. Well, if I'm not taking care of myself, my health, that ain't going to happen. So being able to prioritize that and saying yes to a bigger yes behind the no that I have to say to other things is important. And then your whole thing, I'm trying to work health-wise and diet. That's not going very well, but I'm but, um, still trying to do that. So as we close, I just really want you to think about this truth. And how I hope some of the things I've said has helped you, like I'm trying to work through this. But that truth and the amazing power of focusing in the present, being present with people, being present with the priorities and where God has orchestrated you and put you in that desire zone with an eternal purpose. What you love about Jesus is that even in that text where we read Mark 1, you know, Peter's ready to make him king and Messiah. He feeds the 5,000 people and everybody says, hey, we got our meal ticket here. Let's make you king. And Jesus always pulls back because he knows what his ultimate purpose was. His time, his, his, this time for him coming to the earth was he knew it was the cross. He knew his purpose was to go to the cross and die for the sins of mankind. So he was very present with people, but he never let, got riled up in the crowd and say, hey, let's go make you king. He would start pulling away and spending time, more time with his disciples, preparing them because we're getting ready to go to Jerusalem where God's called me and, told, and my calling in life is to go to the cross and die for the sins of mankind. So I hope you can think about that. Think about your life today. Think about the society that we live in to keep us so multitasking, keep us so unfocused and the power of being focusing in the present with an eternal purpose. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I um, just pray for us, Lord. And, and as you're working in this in my life and the so many distractions, the so many fears that we have, that we have to be present and we have to, um, that we have to um, you know, be available to people all the time and everywhere and, and everyone, and how you've called us, Lord, to be present with you um, and to be present um, with people and the, and the people that you bring across our paths, the people that mean the most to us. And Lord, I just pray for us all that we'll step back from the hustle and bustle and, and put some of these things into place, that we'll, that we'll look at what success means to us, that we'll slow down and stop and slow down and then we'll act and put things in our lives to get us into habits, Lord, that we can glorify you with our lives and make an impact for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.